welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. It is uh, always a pleasure and a privilege to be here this morning, sharing the Word of God. And I want to start by just sharing a little thought that I had the other day, a little observation. You know, it's amazing what people would do to try and find God. There are some really weird and wacky ways out there. There are some seriously strange things, things that disturb me. So because I disturb me, I thought I'll disturb you with them this morning as well. Okay, so I'm just going to share a few of them this morning and uh, got some weird photos for you as well. So first one, if we can have them up there. I was going to wear this this morning. Is the photo up? That would be really good if it came up. No? Any time now? Uh, anyway, they're called Mormon Temple Garments. And uh, they're up there yet? There we go. Now, I was going to wear them this morning, but I tell you, if I could have found some, I would have. Uh, and... Uh, In some denominations of the Latter-day Saint movement, uh, temple garment is worn. It is a sacred underclothing because they feel that they are accepted by God if they wear them. So there you go. So it looks like something from the 1920s. I think people that went to the beach back then, they were all saved, according to that. So that's all good. Number two, Scientology e-meter. An e-meter is an electronic device that measures how spiritual you are. So that's really good. You know, I just can stay in front of it. Yeah, I'm feeling really spiritual this morning. And uh, people would do that. People do very strange things. Number three, here we go. The Jewish caparot or caparot. They get a chicken, they slice it up, and they sprinkle their heads with the blood for the cleansing of their sins. Over and over three times, over and over again. That's pretty cool as well. In my case, I'd need a huge chicken for all my sins, I tell you. And I'd need to be there all day. And uh, I'd need a huge sucker, I tell you. Another one, Mormon baptism for the dead. It's another strange one. If you're worried that your great-great-great-granddad didn't quite make it to heaven, you could purchase him out of hell and be baptized for him. So that's pretty cool as well. So I guess even if, uh, you know, your granddad wasn't very nice. Now, a bit worried about this one. I hope the uh, picture's good. Uh, The Jainists, do we have them up? Now, these are people that worship in their churches. Oh, gee. Thanks, Drew. I wanted more of that covered. My apologies. Um, there are people that worship naked. They just want to worship naked. They go to church, they congregate naked because they feel that anything that they have on them is actually restricting God touching them. That's pretty cool. And they're not nude. Check this out. They consider themselves like they're wearing the environment. So they're not, they're not nude. And the last one being well cup. This is fair income. This is scary, but this is fair income, all right? The Church of Maradona. The Church of Maradona. They feel they get close to God by worshiping through Maradona, and they even have the Lord's Prayer, or their own version. Our Diego, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy left foot. This is their prayer. Thy magic come, thy goals be done. They're amazing. And you know what? The scary thing about these is that these are real. These aren't made up. This is what people do. But like I said, people do weird things to get to God because we're all searching for God. 
That's how we, we were designed. Every man, woman, and child, whether they know it or not, they've got this passion, this hunger that they suppress or they recognize. But we are all searching for God. We were all designed to worship something. Say, so we will all worship something, whatever that may be. Whether it be you know, uh, abilities, desires, uh, people, places, whatever it may be, we are designed to worship. Something to throw our talent time and effort into, because that's what worship is, because that's how we were designed, and our hearts, as one of the fathers of the faith said, are restless until they rest in God, and that's why man tries to come up with ways to connect with God, but you know what? The real God, and one of the most amazing things of our faith is that we don't have to come up with a way. God himself, the real God, came up with a way. He came up with a method. We didn't have to come up with machines and weird worship and weird stuff. He himself thought of a plan. Christianity is not about what we can do or what we can dream up. It's about what he has done and whether we choose to accept it or not. That is awesome. That You research it, you look it up. That is what sets us apart from every other religion. God has made this offer with his finished work on the cross. That's his method. Forget the parrots, forget the Church of Maradona, forget the meters, forget all that stuff. God has come up with this incredible method of salvation called the finished work of the cross. And that's what I want to touch on this morning. That's the name of my message this morning, the finished work of the cross. Uh, We need to touch base on the cross every now and again. We need to just remember, and I just want to spend time this morning remembering everything that happened on the cross, what it meant for us and why it happened. I just want to remind you that God had a plan to become one of us, to personally teach us about himself, to personally teach us about the kingdom of God, to personally save us and die for our sins. That's what he did on the cross. And that's his method. That's his plan of salvation. And uh, we need to grow in understanding, in, in revelation, in appreciation of everything that took place on the cross. Because prior to Jesus' coming, Hebrew priests used to do some pretty weird stuff as well that luckily Jesus saved us from. And um, one of the things I want to talk about this morning is one of the many things that actually took place on the cross and why our sins were forgiven by Christ's death. And one of them was this. One of the things that happened was the removal of God's punishment. The removal of God's punishment. Now, prior to Jesus, (laughs) this is what used to have to happen. People used to have to perform sacrifices for their sins to be forgiven. They used to have to get a goat and they used to, the goat had to be unblemished, totally unblemished, that means totally uh, pure, holy and wholesome, with no defect. They used to get their best goat, they used to pray And they believed that all their wrongdoing was in the goat. And so they would sacrifice the goat and kill the goat as a sacrifice for their sins. Now, (laughs) that, sorry, that happened for one reason and one very important reason is because sin needs to be punished. That's why your sin and my sin 
needs to be punished. We've all sinned. We've all done the wrong things of thought, deed, and heart. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves with God. And compared to God, we have sinned. We have fallen. And you know what? Sin needs to be punished, and everybody agrees with that. That's why we have a judicial system. Somebody wrongs my family, I tell you, they're going to experience my justice or the justice of the judicial system. Somebody wrongs you or hurts you, it is right for them and their sin to be punished. We're made in the image of God. Our desire for punishment is because God also has a desire for your sin and my sin to be punished, hence the sacrifice. However, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his finished work, there's a scripture that tells us in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that we deserved, that our sins deserved, have now been taken by Christ on the cross. That punishment that we all deserved, he said, I'll take it. He did the opposite of what my children do. They try to redirect my anger, my punishment toward each other all the time by dobbing each other in. The other day I saw my children eating at midnight. I've told them to not eat at night. They were having a, a huge picnic and, and I'm angry because I've told them this, it's late, I'm tired. I, don't, I want to go back to sleep. So I go in there and I see my son who's the eldest and he looks at me and he tries to redirect my anger. He goes, oh, they got hungry. They, got, they made me get the food. Oh, there you lying little anyway. So I dealt with him. I went, didn't deal with him quite like this, but I felt like it. And, but, but Jesus did something that's completely the opposite to that and what we do. He redirected God's anger of our sin and the punishment that it needed towards him. And he said, I'll take what they deserve. Give it to me. I'll take that bullet for them. I will die the death that they deserve. I will take it upon myself. I will drink the full cup of God's wrath. And anyone who places their faith in me will have the punishment that they deserved removed from them because I have taken it for them. When you place your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, one of the awesome things that we need to always remember is this that the punishment that we deserved gets removed because he stood in and said, I'll die the death that they should have died. It's an incredible, incredible message. And that's why the cross needs to be remembered, thought of, meditated on, expanded on, and needs to be celebrated. And that's what I hope we can do this morning. Something else that happens on the cross and why it is a finished work is this. Another type of sacrifice that they used to have, um, they used to believe that um, you could pray all your sins onto the goat, onto the animal for sacrifice. So like, whatever you were guilty of, whatever you were guilty of, with enough prayer, your sins could be transferred into the sacrificial animal. So let's say, you know, things like, let's be a bit interactive here. Someone yell out a sin. I'm sure that some of you know of a, of a sin or two. Somebody yell out a big sin. Come on, let's go. Big, loud voice. Hey? Gossip. There we go. What else? Adultery. Now we're getting good. Now we're getting some real sins. Come on, what else? Hey? 
Lying. There we go. Snoring. Sorry, die. There's no forgiveness for that. I got one. Pathetic referee decisions. Sorry, I had to. I had to. I had to go there. And that's all I'll say about that. Anything, anyway. Anyway, so they would pray and they would just stand there and, and, and lay their hands upon the goat upon the sacrificial animal and all their sins. Oh yeah, I lied last week and uh, yeah, I had that really horrible thought and uh, yeah, oh, and that thing that I did when I was on the road and that road rage incident and you know, when I lied and when I took what I shouldn't have taken, all their sins. So the, the sacrificial animal would be covered with the sins of the people. What they would then do, and this is where we get the term scapegoat from, they would get, get that goat and they would send the goat running into the wilderness. No more goat, and guess what? No more sins. All your sins have now been removed. Everything that you did wrong has now been removed from you because the goat took it upon itself. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did as well. That's why the work of the cross is finished. He took upon himself Every single sin that we have ever been guilty of. God himself come in the flesh, taking on every single sin of humanity upon himself. Because we serve a God that loves us. He's our heavenly father. He wants his children to be cleansed. That's why. He doesn't want us to carry that burden of guilt. He wants to remove the dirt and the filth from us. And he wants us to walk as if clean, as if white as snow. He wants us not just set us free, but as we know, set us free indeed. And that's what it means. Not just forgiven, not just the removal of the punishment, but also the removal of our sins so that we are as innocent before him. That's the heavenly father that we serve. There's a wonderful scripture that describes that in 2 Corinthians 521, it says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. Isn't that amazing? He who had no sin to be sin for us. So who had no sin to be covered with our sin, with our serious, real sin. We often hear stories of, you know, heroic tales and people taking bullets for somebody or, you know, and yes, there's a lot of heroism that goes on in the world. You know, we've got war-torn situations all over the world and I know there are many heroic tales and I love hearing them and, and, and I praise those, those people. But I tell you, I think there's something exceptional when it comes to somebody who says, I won't just die for you, but your, your sin, I'll, I'll take that upon myself. Your lie, everything that we talked about before, your lies, I'll take them upon myself so that you're free from them. That sexual sin, I'll take it upon myself so that you may be forgiven of it. Because you would never be able to rid of it yourself. Everything, everything that you, that, that you, that's covering you right now, everything that's making you filthy right now, give it to me. I won't just, ta- I I I just take the bullet, I'll take what's in you, the filth that's in you. And I'll be covered with your sin so that I can set you free. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's what Jesus has done. And that's why it is the finished work of the cross. When you put your faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the punishment that we all deserve gets removed. And every single sin becomes cleansed from us.
we are as if we had not seen before. That's our position. I know that our condition is different. We need to work on, on the reality on how we are here on earth and we need to become more like Jesus and become more and more pure like him. I know that. But what I'm talking is because of that incredible sacrifice that if we put our faith in that, that's how now God sees us. Our position in him is as if we'd not sinned before. And I think that's, that's awesome. And that's why it is the finished work of the cross. Something else that happened on the cross, um, come back, come back from the wilderness, I need you. I have no other goats. They had this thing, they had this thing called, am I, just, just be warned, okay? I haven't asked permission about this. There's no sprinklers above me, no? Okay. They used to have this thing called a burnt offering. All right? And what used to happen, they'd get their best animal, their best goat, the most unblemished, the most perfect, and they would literally burn it. That's why it was called the burnt offering. They would set the thing on fire. <laughs> oh, I wanted to so bad. It's not fun. <laughs> They would set the thing on fire and they would burn the thing and the thing would go up in flames and it would be, oh, it's hot. If I ever do this message again, make mental note yourself. <laughs> Don't put hot lighter in your pocket. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> When they burned the burnt offering, this, it was symbolic of two things. They, they believed that it would be a, a fragrant offering to God, that God would be pleased, that something that was so pure and wholesome was sacrificed to him, and that it would be a pleasing thing for God to, to, to receive. But there was, a, there was a, another thing that was symbolic of, that they believed that as they burnt the offering, that the goodness and the whole holiness of the offering would also go into the person. They would receive the righteousness of that goat. And that's what else happened on the cross. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, we received his righteousness. We received everything that's good of him. You have been positioned within his righteousness because of the burnt offering, because of what he did on the cross for us. That, that, that is, to me, is mind-boggling. He was able to achieve for us that which we would never be able to achieve because we are not good enough to achieve because we couldn't possibly achieve it. And that is simply this, right standing with God. None of us outside of that sacrifice would ever, ever, no matter what we do, no matter how many weird and wacky things we come up with, no matter, despite our best efforts, we would never, ever be able to be good enough to have right standing before God. We needed to receive righteousness and holiness, and that's what we received when Christ died on the cross. We received all that was good in him into ourselves. Colossians 2.9 tells us this, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This is awesome. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. 
the fullness of Christ is now yours. If you've placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his fullness is yours. His divinity is yours. Everything that's good in him is now yours. There's been, it's what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. Our filth for his purity. Our sinfulness for his holiness. Our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Our guilt for his innocence. The sentence of death that we deserved for his eternal life. That was the great exchange. That's what happened on the cross. We received the best that Christ had to offer himself and all that is good, good within him. There was, uh, I was talking to um, a precious girl that comes to this church now and she was telling me her testimony. Her testimony is awesome, absolutely awesome. And she tells of a story of when she became a Christian and uh, she was on a ferry crossing this river. The ferry was sinking and um, people started panicking and it, death was imminent. This thing was sinking, this thing was gone. And uh, in the panic, in the midst of all the panic, one man stands up who was a pastor, who was a, a preacher at the time. And um, he just figured, well, we're all going to die. We're all going soon, so we might as well take some to heaven with us. So what he's done, he's actually preached the gospel message in the dying seconds of this ferry sinking. And he finished this quick gospel message. And then he said, does anyone give their, want to give their lives to Jesus before they die? Now that you know the truth, and several people say, you know, put their hand up, and a few people were saved. But as they finished the Lord's Prayer, guess what happened? The ferry stabilized. They made it across, and their lives were saved. But also, the souls of many people were saved. Now, I think that's awesome for many reasons. I tell you, if it was me, this mighty man of God, that was on that ferry sinking, to be honest, I don't think I'd be thinking the salvation of souls. I'd like to think that I would, but I don't know. I'd be thinking, oh, my children, my family. Oh, what about this? And oh, my wife. And, you know, I'd be, all these other things would be going through my mind. But this man gets up and says, no, I'm, I'm dying. I'm, we're gone. We're, we're history. We're finished. I'm going to give them the best that I have. I'm going to give them everything that's within me right now. I'm going to give them Jesus Christ. I'm going, to ex I'm going to change this situation for the good of Christ. And I'm going to preach him. And I'm going to, even if I only save one, it doesn't matter. And at that last dying moment, he preaches the word of God and several people get saved. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, I'm going to give them my best, my all. They have a sentence of death and I'm going to come in and rescue them. And anyone who places their faith in me and in my finished work on the cross will be saved because of this great exchange that takes place when we put our faith in him. I tell you, that's got to that's revolutionize us. That's got to change our lives. That's got to change our perspective. That's got to, in the morning, well, in prayer meeting, we're talking about changing our perspective and seeing God's bigness, God's goodness in everything that we see. And it's so true. I tell you, we know this message. We know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. I hope that with these few little illustrations, we understand exactly what took place. But I think the most important thing is that we understand this has got to change us. This has got to change our perspective. If we know, if we know, and we've been convicted, and we understand that we deserved 
punishment for all of our sin. But Christ and his goodness and holiness remove that punishment from us. If we know that, how dare we hold on to any bitterness towards other people? How dare we hold on to unforgiveness towards other people? How dare we want to punish and vindicate ourselves for when we are wronged? If we truly have been touched by the power of the cross of Christ, how dare we hold on to those things? How dare we want to vindicate ourselves? If we truly believe that we've received God's holiness, if we truly believe that we've received this incredible position of absolute sanctification before God, how can we not want to live our lives but in any other way but pure? That's what I think the grip of grace is. The grip of grace is that is when you know what you've been rescued from. It's when you know. You know what you are. You know what you feel. You know what you think. Yet you know that God has intervened and while we were dead, he has saved us. How dare we want to live our lives in any other way but in honor and glory to him because of what he has done and live lives of purity and holiness more and more as we live on. If we really understand this message, we... We need to know that there's, there's, there's an implication for our lives. Now, if, if our sins have, have truly been removed, if we know that, if we know that that's how God sees us, how can we walk around feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling sorry for the, for the, for the things that, you know, that we lack in our lives? Maybe for emotional lacks. Maybe when we do mess up and when we do sin, why do we walk around with condemnation? Why do we walk around with guilt? Why do we walk around bowed down? Why? If we know that as Christians, we have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Past, present, and future. How can we walk in condemnation? Why don't we have the courage to say, I messed up, God, I repent. I'm facing sin. I choose now to put my back on sin and face you. I'm sorry. I now will live for you. I know that I messed up. I'll tell you, that's my life. That's my life every day, every day. But I think I've come to a point where I can now truly look to God and say, Lord, I repent. I refuse condemnation. I refuse guilt. I will not walk in depression. I will look to you, the source of my righteousness, praise you, repent and follow you and make a brand new effort. And even if it takes me another time, I know God is the God of the first, second, third and fourth and 50th and up to 77 million thousandth chance. That's the holy, awesome God that we serve. Good listening. Thanks, man. Can I get the musicians to come up, please? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.